0: Uh, check out their website, npteff.com, and use the code HET at checkout for 10% off to all of our listeners and fans. Hello, everybody. Dr. F. Scott feel here, and we've got a special episode for you today. We're just going to call this one the Student Loan Forgiveness Update episode. Uh, brought in a special guest, somebody that's been a, a friend of the show for a long time now. Uh, close personal friend, Chris Varela of Varela Financial. Chris, go ahead and tell our audience a little bit about uh, what you've been up to lately and uh, how this whole student loan forgiveness thing is going to affect us.
1: Yeah, so business has been crazy even since payments have been zero and you haven't really had any obligation to do anything on your student loans. But there's a lot of people out there that research enough to figure out, hey, there's probably a way where I can be proactive and get this to actually use or work to my advantage but then they don't really know the next step. So that's kind of where we come in. So business has been really good. Um, we've been super busy <laughs> um, for obvious reasons in the in the past couple of weeks now with all the changes that have went on with all just the changes to the federal loan system um, in terms of loan cancellation. Am I going to get $10,000? Am I going to get $20,000? Does this actually affect me at all? Does this significantly affect me? Um, all these different ways. So again, we've been getting, getting hounded in a good way uh, with questions, so I figured probably probably a good time to hop on a call and address some of these things and and I don't know broadcast it to a, to a wider audience.
0: Yeah, let's start there. Uh, I personally think I'm not positive about this. I need to do a little bit of uh, research, but I think I might have had a Pell Grant back for undergrad. Uh, yeah, because I was responsible for taking care of most of my undergrad uh, tuition by myself. My parents helped me a little bit, but uh, so I think I may have had a Pell Grant. I got to do some research, but essentially, what it comes sure. down to. The government decided uh, that they're going to give possibly about $20,000 worth of student loan forgiveness for those that have had Pell Grants and $10,000 for those that have not. Correct? That's where we're at?
1: So I think it's that. So yes and no. I think it's $10,000 for anybody that has federal loans, period, as long as they made under $125,000. And I think the thing to distinguish here, and they haven't really framed this up, but my gut is telling me that it's probably going to be based off the income you made in 2021. Um, so basically the, the government has access to all your income information, especially your most recent tax return. So if the forgiveness comes by the end of the year, which it likely will be, um, it'll most likely be based off of what you made in 2021. So as long as you made under $125,000 in that year. And I thought I saw
0: 250,000, maybe for household.
1: For household. So yeah, so 125 if you're single, 250 per year, if you're married filing jointly or head of household. Um, now I believe the $20,000 is that you're basically going to get forgiven up to $20,000. So $20,000 of a Pell grant is generally not going to be forgiven, but you might have federal loans and a Pell grant, which gives you up to 25 or up to $20,000 of forgiveness. So it's basically $10,000 a piece for that. But if you have one of each, you get up to $20,000. Gotcha.
0: Okay. So that's our starting point here. Uh, I personally, like I said, I you know, $10,000, it's dollars—it's—it's nice. Obviously, I'm not going to yeah. say no to it. But at the same time, not a huge fan of the decision. I, I, I don't care either way. My, my mind is, you know, hey, I took on the student loans. It's my responsibility. I need to figure a way to get it fixed. I need a way, you know, figure out a way to pay them off. thats I'm cool with that. I've, I've got my system down. I'm doing what I can do. Mm-hmm. Some people are for it. Some people are against it. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts on on mm-hmm. just the the government's decision in general. Ten thousand in in the world of healthcare and the world of physical therapy isn't really going to do too much to a whole lot of people's overall big picture. But what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yeah, I think it comes down to percentages, right? Like so, and it's actually good timing. So right before we did this call, I had a consultation with a physical therapist, um, and and her spouse, and she has one hundred eighty thousand dollars of student loan debt, all federal. And her uh, fiance, he has uh, $22,000 of, of federal student loan debt. Perfect example, right? One person's getting 50% of their uh, loans forgiven or canceled. The other is getting less than 1%, right? Um, well, maybe not less than 1%, but less less than 5%. So that's, a, that's it's a one person, huge impact. One person, it's a drop in the bucket. So most people that are probably listening, if you're a PT, unfortunately, if you have like a high six figure amount of of student loan debt, it is a drop in the bucket. And then easily you can kind of go into the spiral of, well, this doesn't really help me or in general, my perspective is that does it help the people that have a problem with student loan debt? I don't. Um, do I think that it's going to increase taxation for American citizens? Yes. Well, it's not that I think that's going to happen. Like that is going to happen. The money has to come from somewhere. Is the money, is the money increasing so give me one second. So is the money going to increase the total debt amount in the country? Yes. Again, like we're kind of giving money. Also, now the country is going to more debt. So how do they get themselves out of debt? They charge taxes, like right? They pay, make us pay taxes. And then the last part is there are people where this is benefiting. There are plenty of people out there that have between 20, 30, 40, $50,000 of student loan debt. And life's not on a Life's kind of give them on. I don't know unfortunate circumstances and they're having a really hard time paying it down and maybe it's just been ballooning for years and years and years so it does benefit so i think overall my opinion is that i understand this is going to affect some people positively and it's going to affect some people in a negative way i don't think that i would i would never want to be a politician because i understand that there's not anything out there that exists where it's going to benefit all people um so again I would say, yeah, that's that's my answer. I think it benefits some people. It doesn't benefit a lot of people. Unfortunately, for like 95% of my clients, it's an absolute drop in the bucket. So the question is like, is it worth it? I don't know. But I also have clients where even if they would have forgiven $50,000, that's still a drop in the bucket. Right? Yeah. So yeah. if you have $250,000 of, of debt, which is not uncommon for us to see for PTs, and then they forgive $50,000, they still have $200,000 of debt, and they're making sixty to $80,000 of income, maybe more, maybe less, it's, it's the same scenario. So I, don't know, I go back and forth, but just kind of being unbiased, I just understand there it's going to benefit some people. It's going to not benefit others. And I think we just have to accept it and, and just focus on how it, how it affects you and not get so concerned on how it affects others and, yeah. um, and move forward. Exactly.
0: That's, and again, like I said, I, I'm not necessarily for it or against it. I really don't care. I, I, I don't think it's a great decision, but it is what it is. I'm still moving forward with my plan Mm -hmm. to pay down my student loans, uh, you know, spread out over as long a period of time as possible, making the minimum payments and then using my side business to kind of drum up enough money that I can then invest in a plan that will then eventually be able to pay that off when it's forgiven on tax day uh, 20 years from now. Um, And that's it. That's just, you know, that's my plan. And I'm sticking to it. If things change between now and then, great. Uh, You know, if the side business does a little better and I can pay off a bigger chunk, maybe I do that. I don't know. We'll have to see and evaluate it as it comes. But the first step still has to be to evaluate your current situation because everybody's different and there's eight to 10 different repayment plans and they're all better for different people's situations. So, and that's, that's kind of where you come in, right? And that's where you kind of help start the the path and, and help people figure out what plan is best for them and their lifestyle, what they want to accomplish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's exactly what we do, right? So we ultimately, I tell people in the beginning of any of our calls, I was like, our job is really just to fill the void that exists regarding what your options are and what those options look like mapped out within your individual scenario, not just based off of now, but also based off of future things like how is your plan going to change if you get married? How's your plan going to change if you have children? How's your plan going to change depending on how you file your taxes with your spouse? Um, those items have significant impacts on the short-term and mainly the long-term outcome of these plans. You have to map these out. I, the thing that uh, sometimes makes me a little nervous is that, and this is probably something good to discuss, um, but what makes me nervous is the people that know it's a problem and don't address it. And then the, the bigger issue I have with that is that those are seem to be the same people that play victims. And I, th- I have a problem for people like I think I heard there was another podcast out there. I actually had a PT client send it to me and it was a PT couple talking about how they're on this plan. They're on this they're, yeah. and it's like they don't even know that they're on the income driven repayment plan, but they were based off how you're describing it. They're like, we're on this plan and we pay X amount per month and and X number of years like we're going to have this huge tax bill and we don't know we don't know what to do about it. And the host of the podcast perfectly says, well, what's your what's that tax bill going to look like? And they're like, oh, we don't even know. And he was like, well, that's like, you should probably figure that out. And then, like, how are you saving for that? And they're like, oh, well, we we don't, like, are you saving for it now? And they're like, no. It's like, you got to do that. If you're going to be on a plan, you have to know how it works. If you're going to, if anyone that's watching this, if you're on a federal income driven repayment plan and you don't have any, like, you don't know fully how it works and you don't know what the tax bill is projected to be or what the range of the tax bill is supposed to be and you're not saving for it, get off the plan. It does not make sense if you're not going to pay the tax bill. The average tax bill we see, is eighty thousand dollars. If you're not going to have eighty thousand dollars in twenty years, guess what? You're going to have to take a loan out to pay off eighty thousand dollars, and instead of it being a twenty-year plan, you're probably looking at a thirty to forty-year plan.
0: Right. I, I've heard that episode. I think it was a Ramit Sethi uh, podcast, and and yeah. I've had a bunch of people send that episode to me. And it was, it's it, a good episode. It, it, it is, but at the same time, that particular couple, even though their DPTs were financially just dumb. Like yeah. they were financially yeah. oblivious, you know? Yeah. And so I, I I get it, right? Two PTs, good careers, got married, but have this debt issue, but they really didn't know what was going on. It, you know, it seemed like that just no finger on the pulse of life in general there. Yeah, it's like there's, financial there's,
1: there's no, literacy. 100%. It's like, and it's just the lack, there's a there's a lack of accountability. and Again, yeah. this is just within a household. And I, I think you and I can both relate to this. Some people listening may or may not. But it's like when you when you have a spouse, when you're in that type of relationship, like you, there has to be some accountability there. There has to be ownership there. There has to be ownership there. And when that lack of ownership or the lack of accountability is not there, that's now where this is. That's where you have the victims. That's where you have like the the cancel all student loan debt. It's like that is not even remotely feasible. And at the same time, I think it's also a parent thing too. And this is kind of on the side. I think PTS are are drastically more. Well, obviously they're obviously more gra- or educated, but I think they're drastically more mature than this. But I think there's also a lot of parents out there that will send their kids to a hundred thousand dollar or, or a school that's going to leave them with one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt from undergrad, and they they're like a theater major, and it's like like why like why like why I don't understand why parents maybe they, maybe they're not suited to do that, and that's okay, and I understand that. And again, there are resources out there if you can find them, but. As a parent, you have to educate your child on what their financial situation looks like. Because I think you, you have a PT that is fresh into PT school, and they're looking at potentially being one hundred and fifty dollars to $200,000 plus in student loan debt. But they're like, but it's okay. Like, I'll make money. Like, I'll be making se- like $70,000, dollars maybe $90,000 a year. Like, that's plenty of money. And then, but it's it, like, you have to understand it's, it's not. You have to understand the math it's like $90,000 of gross income equates to how much net income how much are you going to lose from taxes yep. on a yearly basis and then divide that number by 12 that is what your monthly take home income is so if you're looking at $200,000 of debt and you have maybe four maybe five we'll say $5,000 of take home income per month and your standard 10 year plan is going to be almost $3,000 a month yeah you have to understand that's not that's not that's not, not feasible no. so then you have twenty five hundred dollars going into a debt or three thousand dollars going into a debt, maybe a minimum thousand dollars going into rent, and you have maybe a thousand dollars left over to save pay bills, feed yourself yeah. like car payment it's 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 literally not enough so I think parents in general need to do a better job of of really helping yeah. their children understand the financial aspect of it um and I think that would solve a lot of the issues that we see as well. Big time. I I, Again, I I don't want to harp on this. I don't feel like the victim
0: here. I'm not the ostrich. Put the head in the sand and just forget about it and it'll (laughs) go away. That's not me, right? But I do feel a little bit like I got sold the lie in high school of get the best grades, go to the best school, get the yep. best job, get the best degree, right? And so I went to a private school for undergrad, then I went to a state school for grad school for my masters in PT which was nice, but then I went to a private school again for the transitional DPT and the EDD. So I ended up with about 140,000 in student loan debt, which given the fact that I've got a masters and two doctoral degrees and a BA in English, not that bad really in today's standards right because nowadays the debt to income ratio for pts is terrible and getting worse right but again it's like you said i'm preaching to my kids please 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 go to community college for two years get straight a's go to a state school for two years they'll give you scholarships because of your grades or whatever sports you want to play whatever and then after that if you want to go to a grad school that maybe is private we can talk about it i'll probably have enough money for you by then anyway but If you do that, you know, that way from community college to state school to wherever, it's going to be more feasible. It's going to be more affordable. And if you don't want to go to college, that's fine too. I get that. Like, totally cool with that. I'm not going to put pressure on you. I went to college, not saying it's right or wrong. I've learned that it didn't matter what I did or what my degree was in as long as I leveraged it. Right. And then at some point in leveraging all those degrees, that's what helped me start the side business right start my own mobile physical therapy practice and then my master class right where i teach people how to start a business and how to get extra income and more revenue coming in because i felt like it was not fair to my family to put the 140,000 dollars worth of debt on them it was my yeah. decision you know it was it was now it's led me to some great opportunities, thankfully, and I've leveraged it very well. All of the degrees, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't even think I was going to teach. Now, here I am teaching full time, right? But it yeah. affords me the flexibility to do what I want to do, when I want to do, how I want to do, and work on the side businesses, the passion projects, all these things I love to do, speaking gigs, you know, coaching, teaching, all of it. It's great. So I'm living the life, man. I, I'm, I'm totally cool with my situation. But we yeah. need to get more people that are cool with their situation because- yeah. Again, it, it, college doesn't even make a whole lot of sense unless you need a degree that gets you a license that you have to sit for, and you need to hit those benchmarks. Then I understand it, right? Doctors, lawyers, PTs, dentists, whatever. You need to go through that process to get the outcome, the goal, the license, right? Yeah. So that then college makes sense. But even then, I, I still think it's you know community college to state
1: school to hopefully another state school for for graduate school, but. Well, what gets what gets tough, Scott, is the issue, just using the example, uh, a physician is going to go to medical school and they might take on north of $500,000 a year. And then they get out of school, they do their residency, they do their fellowship. But then outside of that, I mean, it's not totally uncommon for a physician to be making half a million dollars a year, depending on what they're doing, what net- network they're in. Maybe they work for a private practice, maybe they have their own practice, especially they get into their own, their own practice. Sky's the limit, right? You're 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 taking on half a million dollars to go into an industry where you can make half a million dollars. Think about an attorney. Attorney goes to law school. They might spend two hundred and fifty thousand dollars student loan debt. I'll tell you right now, we have a client. We have attorney clients that work in big law, and they've they're not even thirty years old yet, and they're making over two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. You can do that. The thing that irks me with the PT industry is that I will consistently have PTs that basically essentially come through our doors with $200,000 of student loan debt, and they are are not working in, in, in an industry where they're going to make $200,000. Can you make $150,000 in home health? Yeah, you can. We have clients that do it. Do they understand that they're probably not going to do that when they get married and have kids because it's not feasible for a lifestyle? Yeah, they understand that as well. So they understand that it's temporary. Uh, can you make a lot of money if you work PR uh, rates or you're working full-time hours? Yeah, but like, how do you find that job? It's not common for you to, it's not going to be, it's not easy to find that job. So, again, we have PTs that make good money, but outside of self employment, you are not entering a field where you're going to be making enough money to be in a debt to income ratio of one to one. So, I don't know how it's gotten so bad. You might know. I don't know where, I don't know what went wrong in the PT industry where the doctorate programs, where if someone was sitting at a desk and they were like, let's take this job where the median in- income is, we'll call it, we'll give it a high end, $80,000. Let's charge them $200,000 of student loan day. It like sounds like, it almost sounds like a social experiment. It doesn't make sense. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what happened there, it it really goes back to our history, right? The very beginning of physical therapy started with a bunch of nurses, right? They branched out and started exercise and rehab science. And then that became the field of physical therapy. But because it started with nursing, they took orders from doctors and then started out the plan of care for physical therapy, right? So we're we're, we're in a field in a profession that has been taking orders, like for, Mm. for years and years and years. And when you switched over to the doctorate, you didn't become the primary you know, physician or the primary care practitioner that a DPT should become, right? So we're still having to accept orders from doctors and not in all states, but in a lot of states still. And for insurance purposes, there's still a lot of doctor's orders that are needed for physical therapy, right? So physical therapy is kind of being looked at from insurance and from a Medicare standpoint as a modality, right? Instead of a profession, and until we make that switch, the reimbursement rates are still going to be dictated by Medicare and by insurance companies, and unfortunately, that's not what we're worth. You know, the the worth of a DPT trained physical therapist, you know, is is definitely you know in that primary care or primary you know practitioner range or should be, and the only way to get to that point is to go cash pay right now, add a network, 100% start your own business. And even if it's not a physical therapy practice, the answer most of the time seems to be start your own business. Because A, you're going to get the tax breaks and B, the sky's the limit on making revenue through your own business as opposed to working for someone else. And even those PRN rates you talked about, you're still trading time for money. Yeah. So the rates are a little better because they don't have to pay you a 401k or, <laughs> or insurance, you know, cover your insurance. But- you're still having to go in and trade time for money and people don't understand that. Like, yeah, you're making a little bit more money, but you're having to go in four to eight hours on a weekend. Yeah. Why do that? When you can start your own business, make your own money and make yourself rich as opposed to working for somebody else and and having to, you know, work for a boss still and, you know, make them rich.
1: Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Scott, because we just we have a client where he was giving me an update on his, on his work situation and it took me back because I haven't heard it before, but he's a, he's a PT. He worked for a hospital network, so he qualified for public service loan forgiveness. And again, if you know that plan, basically you just have to make 120 qualifying payments. So basically, 10 years of payments, essentially, and then anything that's left over forgiven tax free. And but he's doing home health for the hospital network. Do you see that? Like, is that like a trend? Is it like moving? Like, do you think more hospital networks are going to do that? Because I know that you can make more money, but he's making probably his exact words were, "I'm making more money than I imagined I would ever be making as a PT." Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, with, okay, so there's there's a ton of different settings in physical therapy, right? You've got a hospital inpatient acute care, you've got outpatient, uh, you've got, you know, skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities, you've got home health, right? There's all these different uh, avenues for physical therapists. And each one of those avenues is in its own little section and gets reimbursed a different way. So like acute care uses a set of codes for physical therapy, and they bill that to Medicare or insurance or whatever, and then they get reimbursed certain rates, right? Then an assisted living facility or a skilled nursing facility uses rug levels, which is a completely different repayment system where they just kind of enter somebody into the system, give them a rough estimate on how many visits they're going to need, and they get paid all of it up front. And then if it you know takes all of that amount, then good to go, and you can ask for more with documentation showing why. Or... You can, if it didn't take that much, you have to pay back what's left over, right? Then you've got home health, which gets paid per visit, not per code, not per time. It's just, did you go up and show up to that patient's house and perform therapy that day? Okay, great. You're getting paid this rate for that visit. Mm. So every setting has its own like repayment system. They're yeah. all jacked up. It doesn't really matter. But home health does happen <clears throat> to pay one of the best. Yeah. The problem becomes, like you said, long term, it's not feasible because you can make 150 200,000 even as a home health therapist. You got to hustle, you got to see a ton of patients, and then the documentation is brutal. You're taking home notes at the end of the night, and just documented yeah. all night. And heaven forbid, you have to do an oasis
1: start of care. That's 2 to 4 hours in a home right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's brutal, you know? Yeah, uh, I know it's I know it's a lot. I I would say that the number that I would say on average that we've seen for home health PTs for anybody that is maybe listening but trying to figure out, hey, do I want to go on that? I've heard different things the i would say the average income that we've heard is probably i would say closer to 120-130 yep um i would say on the high end maybe like 140-150 i haven't seen anywhere 200 i'm not saying it's not not i mean i'm sure it's obtainable right just yes. like anything else i think it's like if where there's opportunity well i would say if in that situation you're paying per visit so the way that i take that as somebody that's not really that smart but just understands human incentive i view that and i'm like all right well the more people i see the more people i get paid so where where can I work where I'm in, uh, I have the opportunity to just see a shit ton of people. Exactly. Right? So it's, the more it's, people I see, the more people I get paid. Now you're almost feel like that. Now it almost feels like a sales job. It's like, yeah. like the more, the more sales, like if I'm getting a commission for something, the more sales I make, the more money I get made. It's, it's, it's just human incentive. So it does make sense. But when I saw it in the hospital network, I was like, all right, you're making more money. Like you're making basically twice the amount that we usually see PTs making and you qualify for public service loan forgiveness. And his loan's big enough where he's still probably gonna have his loan forgiven in 10 years. It's not like he's making so much money where he's gonna pay it off. I think there's a misconception somewhere where people that's someone that's making $70,000 looks at somebody that's making $140,000 and they think it's like this astronomical amount of extra money. In reality, it's really not that much in terms of what you're taking home more per month to month, especially if you increase any lifestyle as you go, which people generally do. The more money you make, generally the more money you spend. so I think for anybody looking to get into that, it just feels like I've never, I don't think I've had any clients where they're like, I'm going to do home health and I want to get married and I want to have like three kids and I'm going to, I'm going to stay doing home health. I, they're all like, well, I can't, if I'm gonna have a family, I can't really do home health. Cause I'm all literally never be home. And then when I am home, I have to do documents. Yeah. So I've done home health, right. I, I enjoyed it.
0: It was a great setting. It did make me a lot of money. Uh, and like I said, it was right for the right time while my kids were yeah. young. It didn't matter. It was flexibility, so I could drop them off at school, then go see a bunch of patients, and come pick them up, bring them home, then go out and yeah. see a couple more patients. You know, yep. and it worked really well when I started my own cash pay business because I could weave those patients in amongst my home health patients. The the payment, you know, getting paid that much to do that job depends on the city you're in for sure. Definitely uh, the amount of patients. Now, the good news is if you had contracts with certain nursing homes, you could go in and see four or five patients in a matter of, you know, four hours, just go down the hall and knock all four of them out. You know, some of them were husband and wife combos. Some of them, you're going to a home where it's a husband and wife, uh, you know, seeing them both as patients. There's, There's definitely some benefits to home health where it's like, yeah, you can really rack them up, but it doesn't always work out that way. And schedules change, things happen, you know. Uh, So, you know, it's a good setting, I think, especially for people that are just getting started and looking to to do that. Uh, You're going to see a lot more different models. I think Fox Rehab is an example of one of those where they do Part B in home physical therapy. So it's home health, but it's uh, uh, almost like an outpatient billing situation Mm -hmm. through Medicare. Uh, so, you know, you're going to see a lot more of those. You're going to see a lot more mobile therapists just going cash pay out of network, right? Cause they can yeah. control that. That's their own business. Now you got to find your own benefits and 401k stuff if you're looking to do that, but that may not all, also matter that much, especially if you're young and just getting started. The other option I think that's pretty good is travel therapy. I did yeah. that right out the gate for a year. And then, you know, there's tax benefits to that. You get stipends for living outside of your radius. That's great. Uh, they pay pretty high. You can command a certain level of payment. And again, you have to be a little flexible. You can tell them the city you want, and maybe the rate of pay, and then they'll put you in a setting. But you can't usually get all three. You sometimes yeah. you can, but uh, that's a good option if you're looking to pay off big chunks early on. But the, you know, the moral of the story, at the end of the day, you've got to find the lifestyle that works for you first, mm-hmm. then figure out how, how you're going to do this, how you're going to approach this, what, what yes. setting you're going to work in, and why.
1: Yeah, it's like a, it's like, a, well, it's like a psychological approach rather than, uh, a, a financial approach. Cause the financial approach is just going to leave, especially for PTs, yeah. you're going to burn yourself out. They're going to be yeah. like, well, I need to get this full time job. Yeah. I need to negotiate yeah. a ton of pay. I need to work PRN all the yeah. time. And it's like, why? So that you can do drain yourself for eight to 10 years and then pay yeah. off $200,000 a of loan off as aggressively yeah. as you can. Like you just I was, won't have the cash flow to do it.
0: I, no, I was guilty of that 100%. I chased that ever, ever increasing salary and it got me nowhere. It got me just miserable and burnt out. And luckily I changed that, you know, halfway through my career and started seeking the best benefits package as possible because yeah. that's what mattered the most to us for my wife, yeah. right? Who's type one diabetic. I needed the best bang for my buck in benefits. Now yeah. I found that and I've found the flexibility and affordability of my time freedom now to then go out and pursue the things I want to do. So like I said, I'm, I'm pretty happy with where I'm at in my setting and my situation. We just need to find that for more people.
1: Yeah. And I think like the message of understanding like any physical therapist that has like over, I hate, I hate to even put a number on it. Cause then I know if somebody listening to it and they have just under this, they're going to be like, Oh, right. this doesn't pertain to me. And it still does. But I would say if I had to put a number on it, I would say any PT that has like over 110 over 120 or 30 thousand dollars of student loan debt, or more, because some people significantly more. You have to understand, like, if you if you're if you want to know if like if you're thinking, there, oh, I just wish there was an option where I could like not have to pay like big monthly payments, but also not pay for like 25 or 30 years, and also not just minimize my monthly payments, but also minimize my long term costs. I wish that exists. I wish I wish I could just like take the industry as as a whole and be like. Income driven repayment, like just that's what you that's what you need to be doing. In my opinion, again, some people want to say they want to put their hat on. They want to be like, hey, I, I want to do the honorable thing. I want to pay off my debt full, oh, I want to do the Dave Ramsey option. You can do that. No one's ever going to stop you. I'll tell you what, right now, the government is never going to turn down the interest and the principal that you pay into your federal loans. They're never going to do it. And they'll, they'll tell you, hey, you should pay it down sooner. So you save money on interest. They don't really actually care. Yeah. They, they, they just want their that, money, but they just, they want the, they want the money, but on the flip side, people are like, well, I, if I can get my loan forgiven and I can minimize my payments for 20 or 25 years, and then I have a tax bill. So I'll save for that as well. And I understand that there's an extra cost with saving for a tax bill. That's like some of the bullshit that we get from some of our social media advertising or marketing where they're like, Oh, this case study doesn't include the, the savings for the, uh, for the tax bill, but it does yeah. literally it it, can, it contributes all costs. But it's like you just have to understand how efficient these plans are, and we've had times where people were like, "I had an outlier case where these these people were about to get married, or maybe they were already married, and they wanted to have like six kids, and they wanted to do, uh, they wanted to be missionaries, they wanted to go around the world and and do do missions, right? And I think that's awesome, um, but their goal was that they wanted to pay their down or their debt down aggressively as they possibly can. This guy had like over one hundred eighty thousand dollars student loan debt. He's a PT, um, and the wife was like a teacher or something uh, with a little bit of debt. And I basically said, with your family size and what your income is going to be, based off what we talked about, your projectable total long-term costs with our with our strategy for our savings or with our the strategy that we talk about for our tax bill, you could pay off this one hundred eighty thousand dollars of debt off with roughly eighty to ninety thousand dollars out of pocket over a twenty-year period of time. Best case scenario, right? Awesome scenario. But their goal was to pay the debt off as as fast as they can, so that they could. Basically, like donate more and like do the good thing with their money, and they actually did not become clients with. They actually basically said, "We're going to pay down our debt as aggressively as we can." We it feels like the honorable thing to do. It we've prayed about it, and this is what this is what God's telling us to do. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, "Look, I respect whatever you want to do. I'm just here to show you the options." Yeah. Now it would be really easy for me to be like, "This person is." They're not, they're not intelligent. They're not smart. But I don't think that. I'm just like, look, there's other, There's. Uh, I think you've said before, There's. Uh, I don't think you should skin cats, but uh, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. Yeah. Um, and what we focus on, what I think most PTs should focus on is, is cost efficiency. Um, and uh, speaking of cost efficiency, I do want to talk, I do want to circle back to some of the changes with uh, what they announced with federal loans, because there are some changes that have been implemented, or I'm sorry, no changes have officially been impl- implemented. Right. But what but they're, they're talking about it. implementing there's a couple things that would have a significant impact on anybody that is that is on these plans, um, and one of those major benefits is that the government will potentially uh, they'll potentially cover any accrued interest on these loans. And I'm reading off of my screen here because we did a write up on it, but the, the government will potentially cover accrued interest um, so that lo- loans don't balloon over time. In other words. That's a huge benefit because if the government is going to cover crude interest, let's say you have a $100,000 loan and let's say over the next 20 years, you pay X amount into it. But let's say at the end of it, you have $100,000 of principal that gets forgiven and $80,000 of interest that's left over. So now the way that it would usually work is that you would have $180,000 that would get added to your final year's income statement. So like a 20 or 25 year uh, term, you would have $180,000 added to that 20 or 25th year's income statement. And then you would have to pay income tax on that amount. So now what the government is saying, what they might do is they might say, you have $180,000 that's going to get forgiven, but we're actually going to wipe clear that $80,000 of interest and you're only going to have to pay a tax bill or you're only going to have to pay income tax on your original $100,000 principal Now, That could be a significant change. I will tell you right now that will... That will be it. when they officially announce that our business will be uh, very busy. Scott sure. yourself included, you'll be getting yep. a phone call from me because we'll have to recalculate what your original tax bill yep. was projected to be, and this could change somebody's tax bill. Because let's take a PT that is making maybe working in an area where they're only making fifty or sixty k, and they don't see any significant increases. Period, where they're at, and let's say they actually went to one of the more expensive schools, so they have two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of student loan debt. Their tax bill was originally projected probably to be a hundred. Sixty, hundred, fifty thousand dollars, right? Whereas now with this change, they could that could change their tax bill down to seventy, eighty, or ninety thousand yeah. dollars. Still a lot of money, but it's not it's not what it originally was. It potentially is cutting it in half. So that's a significant change.
0: Yeah, and I've seen that uh, they're toying around with that for maybe temporary status for a couple of years, five years or so, and then maybe forever. You know, so that, like you said, they're still working on it, hasn't become official. But when it does, uh, you know, we'll probably circle back around with you and fire it, fire it back up again. You know, Absolutely. Um, so give us give us, you know, your summary, give us your two minute take, uh, you know, from all this. What what are your final thoughts on this uh, student loan forgiveness, pros, cons, ups, downs, wh- what people need to be looking out for? Whatever you think is some good takeaway
1: messages here. Uh, I don't know if I can do that in two minutes. I'll try. <laughs> Whatever. Um, give, give ulti- us, you got all the time in the
0: world. Go for it.
1: Well, I was going to say, ultimately speaking, what we've learned in the past two years, so where we are today, today is Septem- September 2nd, 2022. If we've learned anything about federal student loans and the federal student loan borrowing system, if we've learned anything in the past two years, it's that these the system is subject to endless amounts of legislative risk. There can be any president that gets into that gets that gets uh voted in and their administration can come and they can change things at any given time. Now that's a risk. Change is change, right? Whether it's good change or bad change. I would like to point out I don't think there's been any changes so far that have been made for the worst. Again, like okay, we can talk about the cancellation, what it does to taxes, but I would say in general, just focusing and near narrowing in on the student loan borrowing system. There have not been any changes, in my opinion. With what I focus on, there's not been any changes that have been made for the worst. So that's a good thing. But again, change is change and change is risk sometimes. Um, so again, a lot of legislative risk. So if you're going to be on these plans, you have to understand that risk and you have to be comfortable with that risk and potentially understand that, Hey, maybe there are changes in the future that make it that change it for the better. And that'll be great. But if there's changes that change it for the worse, I understood that risk when I signed up for the plan. And we're always pretty clear with that. Whenever we've been a client or bring a client on. So that's probably what I've learned through the past two years, and especially recently, and again, it's just endless change. So expect that to continue. Um, now, one thing I think that people should att- that they should uh, be aware of is that in certain states, this loan cancellation could potentially be taxable. Now, Scott, you're in Texas, so we all know you're not gonna be subject to this, but uh, the following states have talked about potentially charging or uh, making the borrower pay state income tax on this amount. No, no one's going to pay federal tax because the federal or basically the government's in charge of that, but the government is not charged in what individual states do. So if you live, live in Arkansas, Hawaii, Idaho, Kentucky, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Mississippi, New York, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wisconsin, if you live in any of those states, it's very possible. And again, I'm not a tax expert, so this is not tax advice, but it's very possible that if they are charging state income tax, what's gonna happen is that during tax season of 2023, um, these people will basically get a 1099 C form with the exact amount that was forgiven on their student loans. And then they'll have to pay state income tax on that amount. Um, so it's not, anything, it's not gonna be anything crazy, but if you, had, let's say, state income tax is 10%, um, and they forgave 10% of your lo- or uh, $10,000 of your loan, You'll have to write a check to the IRS for thousand dollars, or if your return was going to be four thousand dollars that year, instead you're only going to get three thousand dollars. So again, it'll all kind of work its way out, um, but that is something to pay attention to if you live in any of those states. Um, another thing to pay attention to is, especially with where we're at, is anybody that is looking to utilize the public service loan forgiveness waiver to backdate um, like other payments that they've made. So a lot of a lot of doctors have been doing this if they haven't been uh, properly submitting qualifying payments, but they've worked for, uh, a qualifying employer and they've been on an income driven repayment plan for 10 years. This waiver allowed them to backdate pretty much every single payment that they've ever made and actually get their loan forgiven. So that waiver has to be submitted before November 1st of 2022. It cannot be on the date, can't be after it. it won- you won't be eligible. It has to be before November 1st of 2022. So get that done. Um, a major question we've been getting from a lot of our clients is they basically said, "Hey, Chris, uh, I've heard that there's a new income-driven repayment plan that's going to get introduced where my payments only can be based off of five percent of my discretionary income, and it might only be a ten to twenty-year plan. They haven't firm that up. What you need to understand is, yes, they have talked about implementing a plan. They likely will do that. It will only be applicable for people that have undergrad loans. If you have graduate loans, you will no longer qualify for that plan. There, in other words, if you're a PT." if you're a dpt you have a doctorate you went to graduate school you're not going to qualify for this plan so if you're on the pays you weren't plan or uh the revised pays you weren't plan or any of the income based repayment rather 2014 or 2009 plan your payment's still going to be either between 10 and 50% of your discretionary income so again for pt's as a whole this new plan sounds great it doesn't really apply to you i'm sorry and then one of the last ones scott is excuse me um if you make they have talked about if you make if you make less than 225% of the federal poverty line based off of your household, then your payment on an income driven repayment plan will actually be zero. So a little bit of math that I did on this. So basically if you have a family size of two, so if you're married, your family size is two. If you have a child, but you're not married, your family size is two. But if you're married and you have two kids, your family size is four, right? So this is definitely something, if you're in that scenario to look out for it because we definitely have PTs out there that have a family of three or four, and they might only be making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand $70,000. So an example is that if you're married and your household is two, I'm sorry, if you're married and you have two kids, so your household is four, the, this 250, this 225% of the federal poverty line would be $62,000 a year. So in other words, if you're a PT and you're married and you have two kids and you're on an income driven repayment plan and you make $62,000 a year or less, your monthly payment on income driven repayment would actually be $0 per month which would be best case scenario because the best way to utilize a federal income driven repayment plan is to minimize your monthly payments and seek as much forgiveness as you can and then create a strategy for your tax bill on the back end. Because any dollar that gets forgiven on the back end, you're potentially only responsible for like 30 to 40% of that, which means that you're basically getting a potentially 60 to 70% discount on anything that just gets forgiven rather than paying 100% of the money owed on the front end. So that's generally how you want to approach these plans. So that could be a major item for people in that scenario. Um, but I think those are the bigger, those are the biggest items that we've heard. I mean, some little things again, not getting political, but I would say like this final extension. This is the second final extension they've had in the past 12 months. So do, do I think it's going to be the final extension? I, I, I literally have no idea. I wouldn't be surprised if it was the final extension. I also would not be nearly surprised if it was not the final extension and they extended again. So again, that's a, probably the last thing to add.
0: Yeah. Well, Chris, thank you again so much for your time, man. It's always a pleasure to catch up with you. You know, this, this really helps I think with knowledge for the uh, audience, where can people reach out to you and find you on social media and stuff if they need to get in touch with you and want to learn more about your services and uh, what they need to know coming down the student loan pipeline.
1: Yeah. I mean, the best way to, to reach out is just on an individual basis. So just go to the uh, the website, which is Varela and Just schedule a 50 minute call there's This is unfortunately not a one-size-fits-all type of financial planning or financial service that we do. Um, our strategies are similar and cases are similar, but every case is different. So if, you, if you're if you really looking for help, you, you're not going to find it on the studentaid.gov website. You're not going to find it on our website. you got to schedule a call and talk with us and, and really talk through your case. Um, so again, you can find us on the website. On, uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on TikTok. We have a lot of video content. Uh, more to come as well. Um, but yeah, I would say anybody looking for help, You got it. You got to control this. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to have to play the victim. Understand your options. You don't have to pay down your debt aggressively as you can. There's other options. Just understand what those options are and what those options look like. Map that within your scenario. And if you don't know how to do that, reach out. We're not the only company that does what we do, right? Um, There's other companies out there as well. So reach out. It doesn't have to be us, but reach out and get help on this. Get professional help. Don't don't flinch at fees. It's worth it. If you have to pay $150 for a consultation where you save $80,000, Guess what? You're in the green, seventy-nine thousand dollars, right? So it's it's a significant value. Uh, understand your situation, take ownership of it, hold yourself accountable, and uh, get the solutions that that are out there.
0: Yeah, I uh, have Chris to thank for changing my mindset on this, uh, and my book, the second edition that's coming out now, has that mindset changing because I was aggressively paying off my student loans. I was taking my side business and taking all the money I was making from it and throwing it toward those student loans pay it down as aggressively as possible. And then I got to meet with Chris and said, well, wait a minute, there's some other options out there. Have you considered this, this, and this? Went through my whole story, went through my my you know process, and I've now changed that to start paying it out as little as possible over the longer period of time, using the difference to invest and do other things with my money and make my money work for me. So uh, like I said, I, I can't thank Chris enough for getting me on the right track and really starting my blueprint for then how I was going to move forward with my plan and my lifestyle. Um, so definitely reach out to him. We'll put all the links in the show notes so people can find you easily. Uh, Chris, like I said, man, always a pleasure to catch up with you and I'm sure we'll do it again uh, at some point after all the changes are finalized
1: and we finally start hearing what the real plan is. Yes, sir. Yeah. Thanks for having me.